You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. Amen. If you have your Bibles open to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Um, One reason I did this series uh, is because there is a lot of things going on today. People ask me, Pastor, do you think we are living in our last days? Do you think Jesus is coming soon? Well, the answer I always have is I just know it's one day closer today than it was yesterday. Amen? And I do believe that we are in the last days. I still believe that there's going to be another great outpouring of God's Spirit for revival. That's the way I'm just kind of believing and praying and hoping for. But people, we never know. We never know when the last day is. Amen? And I'm telling you, today, uh, we started, and I'll remind some of you men, we started a new study last Wednesday evening, uh, and it starts at 6.30 back here in the cross training room in the back. But uh, on the book of Jude, and one of our deacons, uh, John Bucher, our children's director's uh, husband, uh, very good teacher, and uh, we couldn't even get past, of course, you know, the first three verses, but we have begun that study, and, and basically what that's talking about is uh, the judgment on false teachers, false doctrine, and you need to understand that there's a lot of that that goes on today. Anybody agree with that? But one thing, as long as I'm pastor at this church, that will never happen from this pulpit. You need to understand that. But I just think that today... More than ever, we need to know that we know, that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So today we close out our series, Who's Your One? And I hope by now that you know the one person who God has led you to, to pray for, and to share with. And this morning I want to start with a question. What makes a wonderful life for the kingdom of God? How does God himself define a well-lived life. In just a minute, I want uh, us to watch a clip uh, from a movie, one of my favorites of all time. It's a wonderful life. How many of you have ever, ever yeah, multiple times. And just to let, the know, let those of you know who may not have seen that, okay, who are not familiar with this movie, this is about a man named, who is it? George Bailey. And he works for a building and loan company. And there is an evil man named, anybody know that? Mr. Potter, that is on the board of the bank. And through a series of circumstances, on Christmas Eve, Uncle Billy loses the business's $8,000 while intending to deposit in the bank. Well, Mr. Potter finds the misplaced money and hides it. That's not nice, is it? And when the bank examiner discovers that shortage later that night, George realizes that he will be held responsible and sent to jail, and the company will collapse. So George is broken, and he becomes suicidal over the misplacing of the $8,000 and other things going on in his life. And this funny man, his guardian angel, Clarence, falls to earth literally to show him some stuff and get his attention. So we'll pick up their conversation right here. Hey, what's what's with you? What did you say just a minute ago? 
Why do you want to save me? That's what I was sent down for. I'm your guardian angel. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. Eight thousand dollars. Yeah, now, think, just things like that. Now, how do you know that? I told you I'm your guardian angel. I know everything about you. Well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. Sort of a fallen angel, aren't you? What happened to your wings? I haven't worn my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. One way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you. Oh, you? no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I keep forgetting. <laughs> Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, ta ta ta. I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends and my... Look, little fellow, why you go off and haunt somebody else, No, you? now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Well, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. Well, most of you have seen that movie uh, multiple times, uh, long as, uh, just like I have. But the reason I played that clip was because the message today is called, It's a Wonderful Life. And George Bailey is a man who does not understand the value of his life. He begins to think and ask the question, would it be better if I had never been born? And as a pastor, you will be amazed at how many people have looked at me and said, Pastor, it probably would have been better off if I would have never been born. And as we conclude this series of Who's Your One today, we want to focus on how important each individual life is. How important it is for each of us to understand that a wonderful life is, especially in the kingdom of God, we need to understand that it is determined by God. That's what our life is. It's not just determined by others, it's determined by God. It is not something we define for ourselves, but something that he defines for us. Today, we're going to look at the life of Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And his life is one that sort of kind of goes into the shadows, one that's not really paid a lot of attention to. 
So let's look at John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 40 through 42. John chapter 1. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Peter's brother, Andrew, is the least known of the four disciples in the inner circle. Andrew originally is left uh, very much in the background. And we will learn that he was used by the Lord's uh, touch just when he touched one. Okay? Think about it. When he just touched one that touched thousands. I refer to Andrew as the inviter, or I see him as the bringer or the introducer. Had Andrew never been born, the New Testament could have changed significantly. Peter may have never been saved. Someone else would have preached the famous Pentecost sermon. So much for 3,000 being saved in one day. We would have to eliminate two books of the New Testament. First and second Peter. Who would have brought the little boy? You remember the little boy with the two fish and five loaves? Would there have been the miracle and great biblical lesson that we learn from the story of feeding 5,000 men plus the women and children? Only heaven knows what else would have been left out of the Bible and church history. We need to understand that Andrew was the first of all the disciples to be called. In his eagerness to follow Christ, combined with his zeal for introducing others to Christ, fairly typifies Andrew's character. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And certainly Andrew was the least conspicuous. Scripture doesn't really tell us a lot about him. He appears in the New Testament only nine times, and most references simply mention him and passing. Andrew lived his life in the shadows of better known of his better known brother Peter. Now you know Peter was he didn't he, he didn't pay much attention sometimes to what he said. He just said what was there, right? He just kind of blurted it out. He is even mentioned in text as Simon Peter's brother. However, lest we forget, Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. So Andrew shows that he had the right heart for the effective ministry in the background. And of the four here, Andrew appears to be the least contentious and the most thoughtful. Peter was impetuous and often said the wrong thing at the wrong time. He was brash, hasty, and downright impulsive. John and James were nicknamed Sons of Thunder. Because of their reckless tendencies. Andrew would be a great model for church ministry because most will labor in relative obscurity. He was indeed the opposite of the renowned and prominent. Andrew's name means manly. If you remember, he was a fisherman. So he was a strong fisherman who his life proved him to be bold, decisive, and deliberate. He was driven by a hearty passion for the truth and was willing to subject himself 
to the most extreme kinds of hardship. Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus took place a few months after Jesus' baptism. And Andrew and John were standing next to John the Baptist. When Jesus walked by and John the Baptist said, you remember these words? Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and John became Jesus' first disciples. The news that Andrew heard was to keep was too good to keep to himself. So he went and found one person, the one person in the world he most loved, whom he most wanted to get to know Jesus and led him to Christ. And that was his brother. Andrew played an unsung role in obscurity. However, when Andrew, whenever he does not come to the forefront, the thing that shines is his uncanny ability to see immense value, don't miss this, to see immense value in small and modest things. So number one, it's a wonderful life when you see the value of individual people. He saw the value of individual people. Andrew appreciates the value of a single soul. He was known, listen, he was known for bringing individuals, not crowds, to Jesus. Almost every time you see him in the gospel, and whatever the gospel accounts, he is bringing someone to Jesus. So he brought Peter to Jesus, just one. He brought the boy with his lunch to Jesus, just one. And that's what I have been asking you to do during this series. All of us need to see the value of individual people, if it's just one. Andrew has been referred to as the first home missionary and also as the first foreign missionary because of the Greeks he brought to Jesus in John chapter 12. Most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting, just like today. As a pastor's desire that gives the pastor no more satisfaction than to see somebody come to Jesus here during a service. But you need to understand that there are many that come to know the Lord after this service, where we'll get a text, or we'll get a phone call, or we'll get an email, or people will just say, Pastor, I didn't come down, but, but listen, they come to know Jesus. Andrew brought one. You see, they come to Christ because of the influence of an individual. That's why I have, again, have asked each of you to just find your one. Pray for them, invite them, and share with them. Andrew brought one, Peter. Peter then brought how many? Thousands. All the fruits of Peter's ministry is ultimately also the fruit of, and, of, of Andrew's Faithful individual witness. Few have ever heard of Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher who led Dwight L. Moody to Christ. Now, how many's heard of Dwight L. Moody? The Moody Bible Institute. Edward went to a Boston shoe store where the 18-year-old Moody was working. And he cornered him in the stock room and introduced him to Christ. Now, Kimball was anything but bold. He was a timid, soft-spoken man. He went to that store frightened, trembling, and unaware of whether he had the courage 
to confront this young man with the gospel. Moody, on the other hand, was crude and obviously illiterate. And Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the incident. Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class. Moody was totally untaught and ignorant about the Bible. There's something in Acts about that. They were just unschooled, ordinary men. Remember that? Kimball said, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy, that when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned uh, that, 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 might, that I would might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him, well, while I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Kimball found Moody in the stockroom and spoke to him with limping words. Later, he said, I never could remember exactly what I said. Something about Christ and his love, that was all. He admitted it was a very weak appeal, but Moody then and there gave his heart to Christ. Listen, I've said this before. If you're in here today and you're a Christian and you knew that God was going to be back today before I got through preaching, but you knew that you needed some scripture to share with somebody, I promise you, you can find something in this word when it comes time. There are people, listen, it's amazing what you can do if you know that your last day is today. It's amazing what we can do. It is amazing. But all we're needing to do is be faithful in finding that one and realize how significant they really, really are. You see, tens of thousands testified that they came to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody led C.T. Studd, who I love, the great pioneer missionary, and William Chapman, who himself became a well-known evangelist to Christ. Moody founded the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands for ministry. And you know what? It all just began with one who was faithful to introduce another to Christ. You see, Andrew understood the value of befriending just one. And again, that's all I've been asking you to do for these five weeks. You have no idea the impact of the one you share with that may have on the kingdom of God. Two weeks ago, I said this. We're prone to think of one as small and insignificant. Again, who wants just one cookie? Who wants just one laced potato chip? Who wants just, you know, one dollar? What's the value of one dollar? Or worse yet, one penny? Or one point? But the Bible consistently speaks of one. Remember, one pearl of great price. One lost son. One wayward son. One, I mean, lost sheep. Christians often overlook the value of one. What if you knew? What if you knew that the one that God has put on your heart, and you still ain't had the boldness, the courage to share, but God's told you. Maybe you prayed for him. But if you knew that thousands would come to know the Lord because you witnessed to them, would it change what you're doing now? Listen, 
Christians continue to overlook the value of one. One invitation to church. One message of hope. One neighbor. One co-worker. One friend. Can you name one person who has come to Christ through your invite and witness? Don't ever underestimate what your one may become for Christ. Number two, he saw the value of insignificant gifts. Some people see the big picture more clearly just because they appreciate the value of small things. In the feeding of the 5,000 story, Philip's vision was overwhelmed by the size of the need. Andrew said in John 6, verse 9, there is a lad who has five loaves and two small fish. You see, Andrew knew that Jesus would not issue such a command without making it possible for them to obey. See, Jesus is never going to tell you to go witness to somebody that he hasn't already gone before you with. We need to understand that. Some, something in him seemed to understand that no gift is insignificant if it is in the hands of Jesus. There's an amazing lesson here. It's that so little could be used to accomplish so much was a testimony to the power of Christ. No gift is really insignificant in his hands. Do you remember the song, Little is Much, when God is in it? Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. You see, God's ability... To use a gift is no way hindered or enhanced by the size of that gift. It is the sacrificial faithfulness of the giver, not the size of the gift. That is the true measure of the gift's significance. Several have asked me, especially this year, even last year during the pandemic, how are we continuing to meet the budget with less people since the pandemic. You know what I tell them? Because of the faithfulness of God through the sacrificial giving and faithfulness of obedience of all of you. Only God. That's the only answer I have. Only God. When we can figure it out, it must not be of God. Amen? Remember, only God can do it. Just like he did with the widow and in Andrew's life. It's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but the, rather the greatness of the God who is in the given. Amen? Andrew set the stage for a miracle, so that's what he did. So the miracle of feeding 5,000, it really illustrates the way that God works. He takes the sacrificial... In the insignificant gifts of people who give faithfully, and he multiplies them to accomplish monumental things. Lastly, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. Andrew is the picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. 
He never wanted to draw attention to himself. In the book of Ephesians, see this. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. You see, his ministry was a place of support. He did not mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. He was a leader with a servant's heart. Andrew never preached to multitudes or founded any churches. Tradition also has it that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia and possibly Scotland. He was ultimately crucified in Achaia, which is in, the southern, in southern Greece near Athens. One account says he led a wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ and that it infuriated her husband. He demanded that his wife just recant her devotion to Jesus, and she refused. So you know what? The governor had Andrew crucified. He was lashed to the cross instead of nailed. You know why? In order to prolong his suffering. Can I ask you a question? What's the worst thing somebody's going to do to you when you said, can I tell you about my Jesus? What's the worst thing, people? Tradition says it was an X-shaped cross. Most, most accounts say he hung on the cross for two days, exhorting passers-by to turn to Christ for salvation. Thank God for people like Andrew. Great individuals, but inconspicuous, giving insignificant, sacrificial gifts who accomplish the most for the Lord. You see, in effective ministry, it's often the little things that count. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So as we conclude this series today, who's your one? That's my question. We want to remember how important an individual life is. How important it is to understand that it is a wonderful life, especially in the kingdom of God. It is not something we define for ourselves, but something that he defines for us. Now, last week, when I talked about hell, I said a lot. Let me just remind you of some things. I said hell is full of people that never intended to go there. They had good intentions. Eternity is too long to be wrong. But one of the main points I said, we've forgotten where we're headed to the point that we no longer tell others where they're headed. You remember in Acts 4, when Peter and John were brought before the council. And the Sadducees were annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. So they arrested him. They arrested both of them. Look at this. So they called them and charged them and not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
Well, a couple things here. One is, I am telling you to do the opposite. You have the authority by Jesus Christ and the love of your pastor to go and tell and speak the things that Jesus has done in your life. And not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can these words be said of you? God, I can't help but speak what you've done in my life. I can't help but speak what you've done about it. What the things that I've seen. And the only way they can hear is for you and I to tell them. With every head bowed and every eye closed right now, please, as we end this today. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we prepare for invitation. If you've never been saved, if you say, Pastor, if I die today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. And I want to settle this once and for all. This morning, I want to repent of my sins and place my faith in Jesus Christ. If that is the desire of your heart and you believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, you're acknowledging you're a sinner. You're sorry for your sins. You acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross in your place. And you want to receive his free gift of eternal life. If that's your desire, would you ask him right now? Just make this prayer your prayer. Just pray this silently to yourself. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please come into my life and save me? Cleanse me of my sins. Come live in me. I give you my life and I receive your life. I place my faith and trust in you. God, help me to live the remaining days of my life for Jesus. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer just now, then you've just made the most important decision in your life. And in just a second, we're going to stand, and I'm going to ask you to come to the front, and I want to pray for you and give you a gift that will help you grow in Christ. For others in here today, maybe you need to come today and just continue to pray. For your one, pray that God would give you the boldness to share with your one. For many in here today, some of you, you have just felt beaten down. The world has been rough on you. Some of you have broken marriages. Some of you have broken families. Some of you just have health issues and whatever it may be. This place that we are in today is a hospital for sinners. And all of us are sinners. And we need to acknowledge that today. So whatever your need is today, the altar will be open. Father God, I would pray today that people would be obedient to you, whatever you have called them to do. Lord, for the ones that maybe have prayed that prayer today, that God, they would come and confess you publicly as Lord and Savior. For others, God, that they would just need to come and pray, whether it's for their one, for their own life, for things that are going on there. Lord, you know their hearts. So today, God, I pray that your will will be done in this place. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.